Well, good morning again. Good to see everybody after last week's big, what do you call that? Rain, snow, freezing rain, ice, maybe a little bit of mixed in with nothing. Uh, gosh, I'm not sure what happened last week, but, uh, you know, hey, kind of an interesting little side note last week. We had over, between the, the two morning services, and of course we, we streamed at 5 o'clock also, we had over 3,000 connections, devices that watched uh, the, 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 the service that we put out last week. So you start doing the math. I mean, behind a lot of those devices is probably one person. But, I mean, y- y'all know you, right? I mean, it's behind some of those devices is two people, three people. I'm pretty sure we had way more people watch online last week than if we would have had service and it had been beautiful weather. I'm not, not quite sure what to do with that. But we had a, a, a pretty good engagement last week. Obviously, technology is kind of a mixed bag, and, but uh, that was certainly a, a, a positive. But it's sure good to be back together today and worshiping together as a family. Hey, quick, uh, quick uh, announcement, kind of a weird announcement for January, because I'm talking about Vacation Bible School in July. But uh, we're beginning to work on something, and you might hear about it, and I don't want to be doing anything behind your back. I don't want somebody to come and say, hey, I heard your church is doing, and what? I haven't heard anything. But what we're, what we're doing is uh, looking at how we approach that week a, a little bit differently. And so with our preschoolers, uh, probably going to look very similar. If you're familiar with our children's ministry, it's called, it's called Tiny Town back there, and we're developing a week, a Tiny Town experience, and that'll look very similar to a vacation Bible school week. It'll be 8.30 to, to 12 o'clock. But with our elementary actually all the way up through 8th grade. Normally it's through 5th grade, but elementary through 8th grade. We are looking at bringing in a ministry uh, for that week called Windshape. Windshape, uh, this might sound odd, is a non-profit arm of Chick-fil-A. And uh, they, as a matter of fact, I encourage you to Google, not now, later, uh, Windshape and see what they do. But they'll come in and uh, they're going to, instead of a kind of just a morning thing, it'll be more like a day camp. Uh, like you might go to a Y or some other camp, a, a full day camp. So it'll be 9 o'clock to 5 o'clock. It'll have a lot of the same vacation Bible school elements, a, a biblical theme that is taught throughout the week, the presenting of the gospel actually to both children and parents. So a lot of those things are the same. What will be added, and this is more the day camp-like experience, is uh, they teach what they call life skills. But like when you go to camp, you learn archery, you learn cooking. These are actually things that will that'll be done. There's over 20, 20 25 different things I, I, I believe a, a, a child can sign up to learn and do. Uh, you don't do all all 25. You, you pick, I don't know what you pick, like three and you get two or something like that. But you'll, you'll work on those all week long. There is a cost with it. That's, that's a very different thing. Uh, but there is a, is a cost with it because it's a, it's a pretty significant financial thing to, to bring them in. As a matter of fact, from what I understand, when they get here, they pull up with two 18-wheelers. And uh, that, that's the team. That's all that they're going to be using to set up and uh, run the camp. So what's going to happen is we're looking at developing this in the next couple of weeks. We've got a team going to Atlanta tomorrow to kind of get trained on this. We're going to be engaging, as we do with Chick-fil-A, uh, we're going to be engaging some businesses to be co-sponsors. And that's where, that's where you might hear that something is going on. Now, what, what we'll do is we'll come back in, I don't know, four, five, six weeks 
with uh, an informational meeting. And so if you've got children or just are interested in what we're doing, uh, we'll have a meeting here in the next couple of weeks where there'll be a lot more information, time for question, answer. But th- here's why we started looking at this. VBS has been a, a, a tremendous tool for this church. As a matter of fact, it is for most churches. Almost every church I know it, it uses VBS. And we're still using that, that type of ministry in what we're doing in this week. But we're looking for a way to reach homes, to reach people that thus far VBS hasn't reached. We're looking for a new way to meet needs, a new way to get into our community. And, and Windshape has a kind of a proven history uh, of helping churches be able to do that with a whole new audience. And so that's a big part of what we're doing. I uh, hope you'll be interested in that, praying for it, and be at that interest meeting here in a little while uh, and, and learn more about it. But today we're going to move on because it's not July. It's not time for Vacation Bible School. And we're going to continue in our series. You may have noticed today's message is called God Makes a Covenant. Now when, when we hear that, we probably should have two responses to that statement. And they'd be two very different responses. On the one hand, we would say, wow, God, thank you. Thank, you would do this for me. Thank you, God, for making covenant with me. And then another response would be, why, God? Why would you do that? Why would you make covenant with me? Now, my guess is it doesn't lead us to either one of those responses because may not even be entirely familiar with what covenant means. Uh, I'm sure it's a word you've heard, maybe used, but that's not a big word in our society, not a big word in vocabulary. But, boy, folks, it is an incredible expression of God's love, God's work, and what God brings into your life. And I hope in a few minutes you understand a whole lot more about it. But what I'm doing today is a, is a part of, of course, what we're doing this year as we walk through the entire Bible in 2019. We're encouraging you as individuals, every individual, read through the Bible this year. Now, it's January 20th. I'm, I'm guessing some of we missed a day or two already, right? 20 days in, we've, we've missed a day or two. That's okay. Don't quit. Just just pick up today and keep going. Maybe you're here for the first time or hadn't been here in a while and you're thinking, well, I, I can't do that. I'm already 20 days behind. Find a Bible reading plan and start on January 20th. Just start today. Everybody, all together, we're going to read through the Scriptures this year. Then we're going to arrive here at the body of Christ. Of course, some of us are in life groups and homes. And uh, we've got a 42-week curriculum that we're go- that's going to take us through every section, every area of the Bible. So we have a chance to study every part of it. And let me encourage you, don't undersell what it means to your life, what it means to your understanding of Scripture to get in a small group of people and do that. To, to, to build relationships around that. It is a, it is a different way. It will, it will open your mind and your soul in a different way to studying God's Word. So don't, don't treat that as peripheral or fluff or something extra. I think that's a very important part of how we're going to do this. And then we'll come in here and I will be tracking along that 42 weeks. And so, man, I, you've heard me say this now three weeks in a row. Wherever you are, with your engagement with the Bible. I mean, down here, to I've barely even looked inside the book to, I'm a Bible scholar. 
Uh, wherever you are on this spectrum, I, I promise you in 2019, you can take the biggest jump forward in your engagement, your understanding with Scripture that you've ever taken in one year. And folks, the result of that is going to be blessing. That's God's promise. He promised us that when we read, when we hear, when we keep His Word, there's going to be blessing. Blessing in our life in general. Blessing in those specific areas of our life that we need that blessing right now. God has a path for us in that. And it is, it's through His Word. So let's go get that blessing together. Amen? All, I mean, hey, yeah, it's fun to get it alone, but let, let's go do it together and get that blessing. And so right now, we're our, our volume one of our 42 weeks, there's seven lessons in Genesis. So today, we're, we're on the third lesson. We've seen that God creates. We've seen that man sins. And that brings us really to the exciting but almost confusing, God makes a covenant. What does it mean that God makes a covenant? You know, covenant is not only important to understanding Genesis, it's actually important to understanding the entire Bible. Now let me show you a simple definition of, of covenant. Look, look up here. Covenant, this is an arrangement between two parties involving mutual obligations. Now that is, in fact, the definition of a covenant. But boy, it's a sorry definition. It, it, really, it really falls grossly short uh, of really defining, really showing what a covenant is all about. As a matter of fact, that definition right there, that just about describes every relationship on the planet, doesn't it? I mean, that, that's the same thing that two best friends have in sixth grade. That, that's the same thing between an employer and employee, and those are not necessarily covenants. That, a husband and a wife, parent and child, teammates, every relationship, even relationships you barely have, there's an agreement. I play this part, you play this part, and we both win, right? As, as a matter of fact, if you're not each playing a part, you don't usually stay in that relationship very long, Right? There's just kind of this, we just know, okay, here's a part that I do, here's a part that you do, and, and, and we both win. So that kind of describes any relationship. The difference with covenant, gosh, I, seriousness maybe? You know, when I, when I hear the word covenant, one of the first words that comes to my mind is, is maybe faithful or, or responsibility. As a matter of fact, the way I would define covenant would be like this. What is my responsibility to faithfully serve the covenant. What, what is my responsibility? What do I bring into this relationship so that I am faithfully serving this relationship? Now, do you, do you notice the big difference in that definition? The, the, the focus of covenant is what I'm bringing into the relationship. Do, do you realize how absolutely different that is from the way we all enter relationships? We do not enter relationships thinking this is what I bring. Now, I'm not saying we never think about that. I'm not saying we don't know we have responsibility. But generally, we enter relationships for what do you do for me? I'm not trying to make us sound selfish. I'm not trying to make us sound self-centered. I'm, I'm, am I right? I mean, you know, you make me happy, you give me good time, you help me. And guess what? If, if, you, if I don't get anything out of relating with you, what tends to happen? Kind of wander away from that relationship, right? I mean, that just tends to be very naturally our focus. What am I getting out of this relationship? Where covenant, that's all the focus is on. What I bring 
to the relationship. And listen, biblical covenant absolutely celebrates what I get out of a relationship. But my focus is what I bring to the relationship. What I, what I do in the relationship. You know, I, I was just thinking, I guess there's probably one other thing about covenant that makes it very different. You can't quit. There, there, there's no quitting covenant. There's no I'm done with this covenant. And I'm going to show you what I mean by that this morning in Genesis chapter 15. Turn there with me this morning. Genesis 15, first book of the Bible. Pretty easy to find and get to Genesis 15 or use the Bible app on your phone. Now, as you're turning there, if you did read, and if, if you've been reading, you're going to be past Genesis 15 by now. But believe it or not, you have seen covenant four times already. Four different covenants between Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis 15. Now, the covenant we're looking at now, it actually started in chapter 12. God made a covenant with Abraham. And what we're going to see in chapter 15 is God sealed the deal. You're, you're going to see God sign the contract. So, Genesis 15, beginning in verse 1. Sometime later, the Lord spoke to Abram in a vision, and he said to him, Do not be afraid, Abram, for I will protect you, and your reward will be great. But Abram replied, O sovereign Lord, what, what good are all your blessings? Well, I don't even have a son. Since you've given me no children, Eliezer of Damascus, a servant in my household, will inherit all my wealth. You've given me no descendants of my own, so one of my servants will be my heir. Verse 4, then the Lord said to him, no, no, your servant will not be your heir, for you will have a son of your own who will be your heir. Now, just a quick reminder, uh, Abram's not 25. He hadn't been married two years, and they haven't had a kid yet. Uh, he's more like 75. Been at it a long time, and we, we aren't clearly having children. Uh, No, you are going to have a child. And the Lord took Abram outside and said to him, Look up into the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. And Abram believed the Lord. And the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. You know, folks, Genesis 15, verse 6. I just read to you one of the most important verses in the Bible. Now, if you, if you watched online last week, you heard me say, Genesis 1-1, most important verse in the Bible. And I'm still holding to that. I didn't say it was the only important verse, though. <laughs> there are other important verses. Genesis 15-6, it would actually rank up in there in maybe, I don't know, the top 10, 12 verses in the entire Bible. As a matter of fact, that verse is going to be repeated. It's going to be quoted several times in the New Testament. It is the basis of how you and I enter a relationship with God. It is the basis of how we're saved. It's not a work we do. It is our faith. What, what made Abram righteous? He kept all the rules. No, what made him righteous is that he believed God. Now, specifically what God is saying here is, Abram, I credit you as being in right standing with the covenant. You, you are in right standing with the covenant. You are in right standing with me. Because you believed me. You trusted me when I told you, you, told you that you're going to have a son. Ever had the question, man, how, how can I know? How can anyone ever know they're right with God? Genesis 15, 6 just answered it. That's not even what we're talking about today. Verse 7. 
Then the Lord told him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land as your possession. And Abram replied, O sovereign Lord, how can I be sure that I will actually possess? Boy, Abram sure has a lot of questions, doesn't he? God says, I'm going to do this for you. Well, I don't know, Lord. Hey, you know what? You can actually be a person who loves God, trusts God, and have some questions. Say, God, I don't get it. God, I, I don't see it. God, I, I, I don't understand. That's not a lack of faith. That's not a lack of love. I mean, God's not offended here by what Abram is saying. Verse 9, the Lord, uh, uh, but Abram replied, O sovereign Lord, verse 8, how can, I, how can I be sure that I will actually possess it? The Lord told him, bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. So Abram presented all these to him and killed them. Then he cut each animal down the middle and laid the halves side by side. He did not, however, cut the birds in half. Some vultures swooped in down to eat the carcasses, but Abram chased them away. As the sun was going down, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a terrifying darkness came down over him. Then the Lord said to Abram, You can be sure that your descendants will be strangers in a foreign land, where they will be oppressed as slaves for 400 years. But I will punish the nation that enslaves them, and in the end they will come away with great wealth. Of course, he's talking about what's going to happen to Israel inside the land of Egypt, and parting of the Red Sea, the ten plagues, all that. I mean, he, this is prophecy here and it happens just as God is saying it's going to happen. Verse 15, as for you, you will die in peace and be buried at a ripe old age. After four generations, your descendants will return here to this land for the sins of the Amorites do not yet warrant their destruction. After the sun went down and darkness fell, Abram saw a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch pass between the halves of the carcasses. So the Lord made a covenant with Abram that day and said, I have given this land to your descendants all the way from the border of Egypt to the great Euphrates River. We just saw a great and a beautiful illustration of what it means to make a covenant. First of all, do you notice this is all about, what did I say is the focus in covenant? It's what I bring. It's what I do. My responsibility in the relationship. You notice this is all about what God does. God's saying, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a son. Hey, how many descendants? Go outside and count the stars if you can. You can't. Any more than you'll be able to count the descendants you have. And, and, and you're not just going to have a large family and you're all going to have the same colored t-shirt at this huge family reunion. No, you're actually going to be a nation and, and, and you're going to have borders and you're going to have land. And, and here's the land that I'm going to give you. I mean, everything unfolding here is God saying, this is what I obligate myself to do. Do you understand that? How, how strange that is to use the word obligate with God? One of the character qualities of God that is not true of anything else in all of creation is God's freedom. He is free from everything. He has no obligation to anyone or anything. There's nothing he's required to do. There is nothing towards you that God is in deficit. That, that, that God needs... That. And I'm not even referring to God being bad. Boy, God, you better make this. No, there's nothing neutral. There's nothing good that God owes you. And until he gets to you and brings that to you, he, he, he's got this deficit. No, God doesn't owe anyone. God doesn't owe anything, anything. And yet, what is he doing here? He's, oblig- he's making promises 
I promise you're going to have this son. And from that descendants, I promise you're going to be a nation and there's going to be this land. What is God demonstrating? Covenant. His focus is on what I bring into the relationship. What I am going to do for you. And you don't hardly hear anything, at least in this passage, about Abram. Now Abram does enter the covenant. And, and other passages are going to detail what his responsibility in the covenant is. We saw in verse 6 an allusion to, it alludes to what our responsibility, what Abram's responsibility in the covenant is. It's faith. Faith that is going to be displayed. Faith that is going to be proved and lived out in obedience. That, that side of the covenant will come out. But what God is showing us in Genesis 15 is here's covenant. I move into a relationship and it's entirely about what I bring to you. My responsibility, what I'm going to do in the relationship. And then God seals the deal. How do, how do we seal a, a, a deal in our culture? Because what we saw here was just strange at best. I mean, you know, what? If, 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 if you and somebody come to an agreement about how you're going to use some property. I mean, you're friends. We don't need a contract or anything. I mean, what do we do? Shake hands, right? You know, it might be something at work. Might be, you know, it might be a deal that you've struck. You know, but a lot of times, a lot of us, when, when we say, you know, when we extend the hand, that means I kind of want to formally acknowledge, hey, we just discussed something. We have an agreement. We're on the same page. Let's shake on it. Now, now sometimes it does need to be a little bit more formal, and, and so we have to actually, what, sign a contract. We get lawyers, help us put together a contract. And then we go get other lawyers that help us break the contract. It's a really wonderful system we have in America. Here is how I'm absolutely bound to the decision we've made. And here's why I don't have to do anything according to the decision that we just made. It's great being in America. But we sign a con. Or how about this? Put a ring on it. Yeah, you know, probably, I guess what, in American culture, the one place we might have heard the word covenant is in marriage, right? You, you, you ever heard of it? Maybe at a wedding ceremony, a marriage covenant. And, and so we put something on. This, this strikes the deal. Well, what, what we just witnessed here was God handshaking, signing the deal, putting a, a ring on it. But boy, it's nothing like what happens in our culture, is it? God says, okay, Abram, I want you to... And, and by the way, Abram knows what's happening. He, he knows what God is, is doing here. He, so he says, I want you to bring me these animals, a cow, a goat, a ram, and, 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 bring, and there are a couple birds in there. I don't, what do we do with the birds? I don't know. But we cut, we cut these animals in half. And when it says they cut them in half, it, 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 it's this way. Not, not this, this is a horrible word picture. Do not think of me being cut in half, please. Okay, but, but I just want you to know, it's not like this, it was like this. Now, do you realize how quickly and how cleanly I read those verses? I mean, shoop, right through it, nobody got messy. Do you realize how much work Abram was doing here? I mean, I've never cut a cow in half this way. It sounds like a lot of work. It sounds like a mess. You know, I tried to Google this week, because you know, you Google, you can get the answer to anything. Good luck getting the answer to how much blood is in a cow. I mean, could you just give me this many gallons? No, you, I kept running this many milliliters per pound. and This is how much a cow weighs, and I'm trying to multiply pounds times milliliters. I don't even know what a milliliter is. What does that mean? And I'm doing all I finally just, I just quit. But I think, I think I got to this. 
I think pretty closely when you've got this, this cow, this goat, this ram. Now, they, they're cut down the middle. Their carcasses are like that. So the blood is going to be pooling to the middle. I don't know from, from, I mean, how much? I don't know. From here to there, uh, these three animals are laid open. As I walk through that, there's about 10 to 12 gallons of blood. This, this, is, this is a lot of blood. Now, it's not me walking through it. It, it. it is a smoking fire pot and a torch. What in the world is that? You know, for the simplicity of today, I want you to forget about the smoking fire pot and a torch. Because this actually isn't about a smoking fire pot and a torch. A lot of times in Scripture, God shows up in, God is represented in a flame, in a fire. As a matter of fact, maybe a picture you're, you'll remember a little bit easier. Moses on top of Mount Sinai was before what? A burning bush. Was it about a bush? No. You, you do not have to figure out what kind of bush it was. You don't have to figure out the symbolism of the bush. It had absolutely nothing to do with the bush. It was the fire in the bush, and it, what was, it was what was in the fire, and, and that was God. So it wasn't about a bush there. It's not about a smoking fire pot and a torch here. It's about the flame. It's about the fire. And so this fire passes through these carcasses, walks across these blood. Now let's use a little bit of holy imagination and picture God, maybe, maybe picture Jesus, and, and he's walking through this blood. This is a mess. Man, I hope you didn't wear your good shoes today because we're going to do this at the end of the service. <laughs> no, we're not. But and can you imagine? I mean, really, you're ruining your sandals. You, you know, the, the hem of your garment or, or pants or whatever they'd have been wearing there. I mean, that's, can we just say that's ruined now? I mean, you're slopping through 10, 12 pounds or gallons of, of blood. What a mess. But here's the idea. Folks, this... I'm, Say, get the covenant. Okay, this is different than our best friend in sixth grade. This is different between the agreement that an employer and employee. What's happening here as as you walk, as, as one party walks through this blood, walks through these animals, this is the definition of covenant. May this right here and all this blood on, may this what happened to me, may this be my fate if I fail this covenant. See, it's, it's, whew, that's a new level of seriousness, isn't it? It's not just me thinking about what I bring to the relationship. It's not just me thinking about what I bring into the covenant and what my responsibility is. But it is an understanding that if I don't fulfill this, may I end up like these animals. May I end up like this blood that is now all, all over me. Now, let me show you a verse. It's not a verse we're studying today, but it just very quickly says what I just spent a few minutes describing. Jeremiah 34, verse 18. And the men who transgressed my covenant and did not keep the terms of the covenant that they made before me, I will make them like the calf they cut in two and pass between its parts. Jeremiah would have been written 800 years after Genesis was written. This is still going on. This is still the understanding of covenant. Now notice again, God's, doing, God's making all the commitment. God's bringing all the, all the promises. And, and God walks through that. And you know what? God never fails the covenant. God never fails the covenant with Abraham, never fails it with the Israelites. Every single promise he ever makes, everything he obligates himself to, he does. Did, did Abraham respond with faithfulness to the covenant? 
Did the Israelites respond with faithfulness to the covenant? Folks, I think it'd be fair to say Abraham, Jacob, Isaac. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob actually would be the right order. <laughs> Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all of the descendants that followed will fail that covenant more times than we can even begin to... Forget the stars in the sky. They will fail it more times. Are, are they laid open? Is it their blood that is spilled because they break the covenant? Whose blood ultimately? Folks, do you realize what God is picturing here? In Genesis 15, he's walking through the blood of animals. In the Gospels, he will walk through the blood of his own son. And it isn't because he failed the covenant. We failed it. We'll come back to that in a moment. I want, I want to pick up on that thought in a moment. But I want to kind of finish understanding. I want you to see how often covenant appears in the scripture. There's eight major covenants. Now I'm not talking about how many times the word covenant. Like you'll notice Jeremiah 34, 18. Which we just read a second ago. That's not up there. I'm not talking about every time the word covenant appears in scripture. I'm just pointing out. And we're not studying these today. That's, that's not what we're doing. I'm just wanting you to get a glance. And to see there are eight major covenants in scripture. And what do you notice right away? What, where are half of the covenants? Genesis, it's not a trick question, you can see it right there, one, two, three, four, half the covenants, what did I say last week, if you were watching online, man, folks, Genesis is the foundations, it's, it's the beginnings, everything happening in the Bible is rolling out of Genesis, and so we have these different covenants here, and the one that is so very precious to your life and my life was prophesied in Jeremiah 31, and it was fulfilled in Matthew chapter 26, when Jesus at a table with a group of friends, the night before his body would be laid open, the night before his blood would pour and his father walked through it, he held out a cup. Held out a cup to you and me. You remember what he said? This is the blood of my covenant. This is my signing the deal. That I will fulfill every single promise in your life. You know folks just like God did with Abram. Just showed up. Said I'm going to give you a son. I'm going to give you land. He didn't show up at Abram. Because, because Abram was doing something so good. And so Abram was an idol worshiper. Abram lived in a pagan land. He didn't show up because of what Abram deserved any more than God shows up in your life and in my life because of what we deserve. And God makes promises. God says, you know what? I promise to give you life and life eternal. I promise to love you. And I'm not just talking about a good feeling and we'll enjoy each other's company. My love for you will be so great and so profound. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to actually legally bind myself to you by adopting you as my own child. I am now legally bound to you. And you will one day stand right next to my son, Jesus Christ. And you will stand there with him as a co-heir. That was one of the most mind-blowing pictures that I've ever seen in the scripture. And I've got two sisters. I've got a mom and a dad. I've I've got an inheritance coming. And, And my sisters and I, we will go before that inheritance. We will go before that moment legally as co-heirs, as equals. 
What in the world is God doing putting me next to Jesus Christ and making me a co-heir with him? Man, Abraham ought to look at what God's offered you and me and say, I got ripped off. I want what they have. He offers to give you and I forgiveness. Why is that so precious? Because, folks, it's our sin that keeps you and I from enjoying the incredible reality that we are in a covenant with the living God. Most of us lived every single moment of this past seven days without that meaning anything to us. Do you know why? Our sin. Our sin, our worldliness, our our bind, our tie to this world. And God offers forgiveness. He offers a way for that to be clean and removed so I can come back into the covenant and so that I can enjoy the covenant and everything that God has for me in that covenant. And isn't, isn't God good? He makes the promises. Eternal life, heaven, and His blood. Seals the deal. One more verse. Deuteronomy 7, 9. Just again, letting you see God makes covenant. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant. That this God I'm talking about, this God I want you to know, He's such a loving God. But it's not just a warm feeling that is dependent on whether you're good or not. No, He is a covenant God. A steadfast love that does not quit that does not walk away, but fulfills its obligations and keeps its promises with those who love Him and keep His commandments. Let me go back to how I started the sermon. When you and I look at that, I mean, isn't part of you right now saying, God, thank, wow, thank you, God. But does not a thinking person have to look at that and say, why? Why, why God... Would you do that for me? Why do you do that for me? I, I mean, what is, what is God thinking? <laughs> Have you ever... Uh, I'm asking this question like there's only a few of us. Every single one of us. Uh, can you think of a relationship that you entered? A friend, maybe at work, at school, somewhere. You enter this relationship. It seems kind of cool. seems like this might be a, a good thing. And about three months later, six months later, you're going... What have I got myself into? This person is... What did we say? This person's not what I thought. Ooh, and about that point, we start thinking how we back out of this. <laughs> hey, you fooled me. You caught me. I'm out of here. I mean, is, is that what happened to God? He's a God. He's a loving God. He, goes, he comes running after us to have a relationship with us. But I mean, how many months, how many minutes did it take before he said, oh, this isn't what I thought? You know, that's actually not at all what happened. As a matter of fact, let me show you something in Genesis 6. Now, for those of you who are not real good at math, Genesis 6 comes before Genesis 15. Are you with me? Okay, so before we see what's happening in Genesis 15, this in Genesis 6 is what God understood about man. The Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth. And it, y'all say that word? Say it one more time all together. It grieved his heart. That's a sad moment, isn't it? God made you in his own image. He made you to look like him, to be like him. He makes you and me and now he's grieved. Is that just a bad moment? 
just a bad moment. Oh boy, the world back then must have been really bad. You know, we've, in, in the New Testament, it says this. Uh, you know, here again, God, covenant-making God comes to us and says, I love you so much. And I'm going to keep you. I'm going to make sure you don't get lost in this relationship. And so he puts the Holy Spirit to live inside us forever. Some of you familiar with that idea? When we come into a relationship with Christ, the Holy Spirit of God, the third member of the Trinity, comes and lives in here. You ever think any? Do you think back over this past seven days? Do you think you said or did anything that made it uncomfortable for him to be there? You ever been in a place? Man, I don't. What's that smell? Why is it decorated like this? What, what is going on? You know, you're just uncomfortable because you're so unlike the surroundings. You ever wonder what it's like for the Holy Spirit to live in us and hear every word that comes out? To observe every thought passing through our brain? To see how we're responding to every person talking about every person talking about what happened? Scripture says it grieves the Holy Spirit. No, God didn't get tricked. He, he didn't get tricked into a relationship with us. He, he, he knows what we are. And that, that wasn't just back then. I mean, Romans, which would have been written 1,500 years after Genesis, God says, none is righteous. None is righteous. Let me be clear what I mean by that. No, not one. No one understands. No one Seeks for God. You know, I've known that verse for, for decades. Studied that verse. I understand that verse. I, I get what it means theologically. I affirm what it means theologically. But I'll be honest with you, every single time I read it, it just seems a little over the top, doesn't it? Just, just a little bit. As a matter of fact, when it says, no one's righteous, no one's good, doesn't immediately somebody come into your mind? Well, what about them? I, I mean, I hope somebody does. Somebody in the world, some great figure that just seems like just nothing but good and philanthropic. And, you know, doesn't everybody kind of some way think about their grandmother that way? She's the most wonderful person in the world. You know, we, we, we read that. What about them? And you know what? They are good. They are good compared to every other sinner and failure on the planet. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're, they're a good person. But do you understand? Let, let's switch. And instead of comparing and, and understanding how good somebody is compared to the people around them, let's look at this from God's perspective. God, that person, you got him in your mind? God has never once lied to that person. Never lied to them, never tricked them, never betrayed them, never manipulated, never done anything. Not even once. Not even a bad moment. Like, oh my gosh, I mean, I'm not going to hold that against you. It's one bad moment out of 10,000. No, not even once. But do you know that person that is so good has lied to God, lied to themselves, and lied to others. More than the stars in the sky. Lying's just one issue. When you look at it, maybe from God's perspective, you would see why maybe He looks down here. Man, there's nobody good. Or, but what about that phrase? No one, no one seeks for God. Well, Lord, what do you think I'm doing here this morning? I mean, I, what, what brings us in? Man, I, I want to know God. I want to know His Word. I, I've got questions. I want to know more. I'm, 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 I mean, we, I'm here seeking. I'm, I'm here looking. And, but, you know, let's be honest. A, a lot of what describes us as a seeker, as a looker, is our being here versus the people who are home in bed, right? I mean, 
Okay, so maybe I don't seek you perfectly, Lord, but I'm seeking you more than that guy. Or how about the atheist? How about the person who hates God? I'm seeking you a lot more than them. But here again, what what makes me a seeker? My activity compared to somebody who's not. But what about from God's perspective? Because I'm I'm guessing a lot of us in here would say, well, I seek after you, Lord. You know, what what are we doing right now? We're, we're, We're reading through the Bible this year, aren't we? I mean, we're trying, a lot of us. I'm going to read through the Bible. Now, you know, I told you, whatever, whatever Bible reading plan you get, it's, it's about 15 to 20 minutes of Bible reading a day. That's kind of a lot, isn't it? I mean, the answer is yes, it's okay to say that. I mean, 15 to 20 minutes of reading every single day for three... I mean, it's January 20th, and I'm guessing most of us have missed a day so far. You know, gosh, that's, you know, so it's work. It's discipline. Man, I'm, I'm working hard. And you know what? Some of us are going to get there. Right? The end of the year, next January, January 3rd, 4th. Read the whole Bible this year. Just thought it'd be interesting conversation. Do you? I mean, it kind of, doesn't it just a little bit say something about me? When I, I, I read the whole Bible. Yeah, 15 solid minutes a day. Oh, it's work. You know, it, it, it's interesting. We'll, we'll work at that. And, and you know what? Some of us will quit because it'll be too much work. It, it'll, be, it, it'll be too hard. But you know, while God is watching us try to find and make that 15 to 20 minutes happen, He will also watch us for solid 365 days this year, spend three, four in five hours, every single day, without fail, watching TV and Netflix and doing social media. And that's every person in this room. Do you know, I have never once in my entire life woke up and said, man, I am tired. I have got a really busy... How am I going to get two hours of TV in? How am I going to make this happen today? Without effort. It does not matter how tired I am. It does not matter how much I do. I just naturally make that way to that TV, to that Netflix, to that social media. It, folks, do you think maybe as do you think maybe as God watches us without effort and with joy pursue hours every day to things really honestly that encourage us more against God than for Him? And act like we're dying to make 15 minutes of Bible reading happen. Do you think maybe that's where he comes up with a statement of, there's nobody that's seeking me. By the way, I absolutely have zero desire for us all to feel ashamed by what I just said. I'm not trying to shame. Oh, you won't read the Bible, you're watching all that TV. Hey, I'll do it. You know what? I I will watch five hours of TV today. I got the 5 o'clock service. That's actually going to get in the way. God. That's actually going to get in the way of all the TV watching I want to do. I will watch most of the first game. And I will watch all of the second game. That's five hours. And I will be tired at the end of this day. But I will have no problem at all making those five hours happen. So, I, 
Hey, listen, there's nobody more guilty than me in what I just said. This isn't about shaming you. It is about creating a context at which I pray you're so overwhelmed about how much God loves you and what he has done to make covenant with you. Folks, do you realize the Bible, that it's killing us to read 15 minutes? The Bible is God making a promise to you every single day. Do you realize the Bible is God's mercy in your life? New. Whatever you burned up yesterday, whatever you depleted yesterday, this morning, God has a brand new bucket of mercy and grace and love for you. The Bible is God reminding you while you don't ever have to forgive Him. He, listen, you might be mad at Him. You might be frustrated with Him. You might be confused by something He's doing. But nowhere has God transgressed you. Nowhere has God failed the covenant, has God failed you. He doesn't owe you forgiveness, but every day we need His. Every day we need His forgiveness, and that forgiveness is offered. It's offered justly inside the covenant. Forgiveness, do you understand? In covenant, forgiveness is not, oh, it's no big deal, forget it. That's not what forgiveness is. The covenant has been wronged. The covenant has to be made right, and God gives that forgiveness. He writes the covenant by the blood of the new covenant. We're going to... We're going to celebrate Lord's Supper in two weeks, February 3rd. Jesus is holding out to you. He says, remember, remember every day a new covenant has been handed to you. It's not my blood. It's my failure. It's not my blood. It's not me walking through it. It's my failure, but it's not me walking through it. It's, it's the Father walking through the blood of His own Son. So that I could be restored and so that I could enjoy everything this covenant has to offer. Be in awe of the covenant. Serve the covenant. What's it mean to serve the covenant? I I mean, folks, let's just finish like we started off understanding about covenant. Covenant is me focused on what I bring to the relationship. Now, this isn't how you earn God's favor. This isn't how you earn God's pleasure. You've already got His favor. You've already got His pleasure. This isn't how you buy a relationship with God. He's already offered it to you. He's already given it. This isn't how you get into heaven. He's already given you heaven. When I'm focused on what I bring to the relationship, I'm focused on how I enjoy covenant. Listen, folks, let me say it again. Biblical covenant absolutely celebrates what I get. But covenant means I'm focused on what I bring. You know, let's just take one aspect of the the Christian life. I know I'm getting long. I am wrapping up. Let's just take one aspect of the Christian life. Coming to church. Pull into the lot. Start walking into the doors. What's on our thought? I mean, honestly, folks, the very best of us, our our thought today is what am I going to get out of this? And if I don't get anything out of this, especially if I consistently don't get anything out of this, I'm, I'm going to get a new church. You know, we're going we're to leave here in a few moments and we're going we're to evaluate the music. Did I like the music? I don't like the music. Did I like the pastor? I don't like the pastor. What did that person say to me? Why did they say that to me? Did that person say hello to me? 
And I'm, I'm going to leave here. And I'm, we're, going to, we're going to evaluate our entire experience. Folks, do you realize we have turned the church into little more than a restaurant that we consume and then evaluate whether we like what we consumed? That's not covenant. Do you realize that's not even a good friendship? Covenant means I'm walking into this building and my entire thought is, how do I love God? And I know His Word tells me the way I live out my love for Him is by loving y'all. Love you, serve you, forgive you. I'm walking into this building and the only thought I have is what I give, what I do, what I say, how I bless, how I encourage, how I engage. How do I serve the covenant? Because I want to enjoy the covenant God has made with me. That's my only focus. Now, take out the word church and put in the word prayer. Take out the word prayer and put in the word read the Bible. Take Take out the word Bible and put in the word obey. I mean, folks, you realize the moment we do anything that we would describe as that this is what I'm doing for God, we almost immediately say, well, did I have a better meeting? Well, did I have a better day? Well, did it fix that? Well, did it... We've reduced God to a vending machine. That's not covenant. The good news is, God's love for us is not on the line. Heaven is not on the line. My being an adopted child of God is not on the line. But what is totally on the line is how much I enjoy what God has given me in a relationship. Covenant means I'm walking into this. What do I bring? How do I serve? Be in awe. Be in awe of the covenant. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I I, I pray that you would guide each one of us individually in how we serve the covenant. There's going to be some ways for each of us, Lord, that would be very similar. There would be some ways that are maybe very different. Lord, Lord, I really believe every person in here has a way they could serve the covenant in the next 15 minutes. Between here and the car, there is a way they can serve the covenant. God, show us what that is. Show us what that means. May we care. May we wonder and care what it means that I can serve the covenant in the next 15 minutes. God, I pray this thought sticks in our brain all week long. And all week long, we're thinking about where? What what does it mean at work? What does it mean in my marriage? What does it mean at school? What does it mean in this person I don't like? What does it mean in this place I'm confused to serve the covenant? Holy Spirit, I thank you that as we ask for your guidance in these things, you will be so gentle and so loving in showing and guiding us into this. In your name we pray. Amen.